0: nick welcome to Wemcast, and um welcome to um uh, another episode so in this episode nick i just want to um i just want to introduce yourself so if you could just um just tell the listeners a little bit about you and where you're from and then we're going to explore a little bit about your situation right now and um some of the fantastic things you've done in the past
1: right well my name's nick wolf i'm um A sort of retired uh, paramedic. Um, I'm told that I'm the worst retiree in the world. Um, I'm 67 years old so I managed to escape from the Welsh Ambulance Service a few years ago and just do bank shifts and went uh, and did things uh, like uh, going back to projects that I'd started in Afghanistan uh in civilian hospitals and sailing on tall ships as a medical purser and um stuff in ethiopia and also um in uh uh, vanuatu in the south pacific um so at the moment i'm uh training paramedics out here and doing um Four twenty-four hour shifts back to back um and then four days off but on my four days off um i'm also uh on call because i'm the only qualified paramedic so
0: well so it. listen that brings call me nicely advice. to the actual question of where you are in the world and how you ha- and so if you could just define where you are and just a bit about your current situation because we've just had a quick chat and it's hugely uh fascinating and yeah and insightful
1: this is the second time i've come out here to do a two-month uh spell uh for an outfit called pro medical who provide paramedic services on two of the uh, 65 islands um the the reason they do that is because uh if you want to attract tourists um then you need to have some medical services so they can get medical insurance. So it's very much a project that looks at improving the economics of the islands and uh, allowing them to gain lots of money. Of course, um, the outbreak of uh, COVID-19 has meant that um, uh, everything has stopped. Australia put a level four travel ban on, which effectively uh, stopped us from going there. Um, I wasn't even allowed to transit Australia. Um, Then uh, other neighboring places like Fiji and New Caledonia, New Mir, PNG got um, cases of the virus and uh so everything shut then vanuatu uh announced a state of emergency and that even cut the inter-island travel so uh i ended up with every leg of my journey home which i should have been on now <laughs> uh being cancelled and uh the flights from um Australia back towards the UK have been cancelled for at least two months, and they're now saying possibly six months. Uh, so I'm well and truly stuck. British High Commissioner have been fantastic, um, but uh, even they can't uh, work out a way at the moment. So I've extended my stay. Um, and uh, I'm here for the next few months at any rate, Nick.
0: Gosh, mate, gosh, that's uh, yeah, well and truly committed to the cause, um, so to speak, um, out there. But so you're you're the only registered and qualified paramedical on the island, and you're mentoring four others, did you say?
1: Uh, three others, three others, yeah. So, so there's four of us uh, sharing the shifts,
0: (laughs) gosh, gosh. So, what kind of caseload do you see um, at, at the moment? Just is 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 it everything from minor injuries to major trauma, or do you, do you generally just see a lot more minor pathology?
1: No, it, it's it's um, the full range, and of course, that's we're in the tropics, so y- you get uh, a greatly slanted um, caseload. Uh, get a lot of um, things like skin infections and things Uh, there's quite a lot of type 2 diabetes and hypertension and those sorts of problems Um, they also have malaria and dengue fever but those tend to come cyclically and um, at the moment we're not seeing much dengue fever at any rate Um, but we actually had a, a man a few weeks back who uh, was on one of the smaller islands off this island. Um, we just had to go down, sounded like a transport job, to, to a landing stage um, five miles out of town. Um, he came over on a boat from the island with his family. They carried him onto an open boat and brought him over. He had an abscess on his back, and I've never seen anything that size. It must have contained half a liter of pus. Um, the skin was all breaking down. Um, it covered three quarters of his back, um, was about four centimeters thick. Um, so uh, we immediately, Put up an IV because he was he was really um, in in sepsis. You know, no other term for it. Um, we got him to the local hospital, started IV antibiotics, and uh, he unfortunately died two days later from it.
0: Gosh, gosh, gosh.
1: And you know, so that's that's a minor skin problem. Um, you know and and then we get children fall out of trees um there's very little um violence here everybody carries large knives for hacking at uh, rainforest um and gardening um although this trip i did go to one murder um with a, a single stab wound um and and he was alive when we got to him but uh turned into a traumatic arrest
0: okay gosh, gosh so
1: we see the full the full range yeah so
0: i remember you just saying before
1: that actually the act
0: the, the access to to diagnostics is very limited so uh, is it right in saying you don't have a ct scanner uh, on the whole collection or even a, an x-ray machine on the
1: we, yeah the the x-ray machine in our 31 bed hospital um, actually broke down nine months ago uh the irony is the this part uh is now on order um but of course can't get here because of the situation so um so yes i mean when when you get a fracture um from paramedic point of view you've got very different priorities in a way it, you're obviously going to have to sort out any complications of fracture as soon as you can Uh, the length of time that it can take on very bad roads to get even as far as the hospital you know could be three to five hours um, on intensely rough roads so uh, you have to prepare your patient very carefully for transport Mm um traction splints are uh an absolute essential um as are sam splints and um you know any any means that you can to really support fractures yeah
0: yeah indeed indeed uh gosh so nick that's that's quite complex really because you are pretty much um the kind of a generalist by nature really so you're kind of your um, jack-of-all-trades uh, really <laughs> whilst, whilst you're out there it sounds like um but nick so let's just let's just hit pause and, and rewind slightly hmm. so going back to when you started in 1980 as a as a paramedic you trained and, and was that southwest um was that in the southwest of the, of the uk that, or
1: yeah that was somerset amber service the uh the original sas uh, um <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay, okay. But, um yeah wow.
1: Yeah, so the, then I I did uh, eleven years there and ten years in Bristol with Avon Ambulance. Yeah. Um all all disappeared now. And then um moved to North Wales. That was still the Welsh Ambulance Service that had amalgamated then. And um and then I moved I I live back in Somerset now. Uh, when I can get there Um, and uh, that's um, I I do some bank shifts in South Wales yeah yeah indeed so
0: so Nick just for a second let's just slightly pivot if that's okay and look at Mm. because you've got a fantastic uh, and fascinating history Nick so if if I'm right in thinking you've also worked as a volunteer in Afghanistan Pakistan Ethiopia uh, Haiti um, and written a few books as well resuscitating afghanistan and ambulance aid how did you make the transition from working in <laughs> Bristol, in somerset in wales to working in places like afghanistan and pakistan and ethiopia well i
1: went uh, in 1993 to climb a big mountain in pakistan um with uh, five friends and um that was a, a fabulous trip i mean the, the mountains of pakistan are Quite incredible. Um, but when I finished that, uh, there was um, uh, a colleague who worked in HR uh, for Avon Ammons, and um, she uh, said, Well, come up and see us. We're in Peshawar. Um, and her husband was working for uh, a UN funded organization on Afghan aid. I got there and he said to me, uh, we need somebody to teach first aid to some D-minors. Um, so I had a rather rapid um, upbringing in anti-personnel mines, And as well as teaching first aid uh, to people who, I had more practical experience of it than I did. Um, It was also uh, the start of me becoming a passionate anti-personnel mine uh, campaigner. Mm. So between 93 and 95, we managed to get the Vienna Protocol signed by a lot of countries, Mm. although the, the United States... Only signed a couple of years ago, and they've now dropped out under President Trump. So <laughs> that's a sore point. Yeah. So did um,
0: you, so so did the, the linkage from Afghanistan into into uh, uh, into Ethiopia and Haiti was it all under this ubiquitous umbrella of anti-personnel mines,
1: or was it was there a variety of? No, no. Um, I I eventually in in Afghanistan, I got teamed up with Sandy Gall's Afghanistan appeal. Uh, some people are probably old enough to remember Sandy Gall as a newsreader. Um, and he set up a charity and they did physiotherapy and limb fitting. Uh, so I did various, um, practical things for them, like taking Land Rover parts into Afghanistan. Um, and, uh, things like that to help them and then met up with an amazing orthopedic surgeon called john fixon unfortunately now dead but um he uh was um he'd retired from great ormond street doing children's orthopedics and um Uh, I helped him with a lot of his clinics out there which taught me an awful lot about orthopedics Um, and um, then uh, there was a hospital in Afghanistan where various British surgeons had gone and they'd refused to go back there because the lack of any recess training uh, or anything like that so I set off to get a load of equipment through an outfit called Festival Medical Services that does uh, um, voluntary work at uh, big music festivals. And the money that we gain from that goes to charities worldwide. Um, So I sort of combined it all and went out and decided to teach resuscitation to an Afghan hospital and uh the book is is sort of set over 3 years of going out using my holidays um so uh, i am an afghan tourist <laughs> wow. so that's exactly
0: that is in Af- afghanistan so uh, so yeah so, so it's your reflections over that 3 year period of just everything i guess just the whole health economy educating Educating clinicians, just mm.
1: sections of the, the whole... It. Uh, I went out doing it all the wrong way around because I didn't sort of plan the courses till I got there. And I was glad I did because it it wasn't the fact that they were poorly educated doctors. It was the fact that they didn't have any concept of teamwork. Mm. And resuscitation was used as a way of Getting them to work together. So um, it was also the fact that, that uh, at one stage, see in the book, that um, I was able to teach them all the all the components of, for instance, basic life support. Um, but when you gave them a scenario and got them to put it together, it was rubbish. They just could not do it. And it suddenly dawned on me that it was because they didn't have any uh, vision of what they were trying to do. So there's a, a quite a famous bit of film from the BBC about um, Chris Solomons, who's uh, uh, employed by an ambulance service. And when they were filming the North Yorkshire helicopter, I think it was, mm-hmm. um, they, he actually had an MI, and then had a cardiac arrest on camera and they resuscitated him. Um, And I showed this bit of video to the Afghans and gave them a scenario immediately afterwards. And they did it perfectly. Mm. Uh, They're very practical people. And as soon as they saw what was expected of them, they did it. Mm. Um, And taught me the lesson that, you know, just because we know what, Resus looks like doesn't mean to say that everybody else does. Yeah. Um, yeah, I
0: learned that actually. It's a really good point actually, Nick. So I learned that um, through some of my education and teaching um, is actually um, what we used to do is actually <clears throat> have a faculty simulation really because I think it's powerful to model to other people what you expect to see from them. And unless hmm. you do have, unless you do model it to them, people don't necessarily have an analogue of, of of a your expectations or b what how how the concepts fit together. Um, yes. So I think you're right. You know, a picture and or a simulation speaks a thousand words. And so mm. to be able to model that to people was was quite powerful, really. Um, and even get them to critique us after after we did that. But but actually, yeah, actually model it to people. It's uncomfortable, um, but actually really p- quite powerful. Um, mm. Absolutely. So, so Nick, as you you went on from there, um, and you um, you went into um, a few other countries, how did you end up in Haiti? How did
1: you
0: end up there? (laughs) Um,
1: I can't actually remember who it was that's forwarded on. um, I don't. I don't remember whether it was an, an email or whether it was just. Turned me to a web page, uh, but it was um, an American charity called Hero, uh, which is Haiti Emergency Response Organization, um, who provide um, uh, paramedic ambulance service in in Haiti. And uh, um, yeah, they welcome me uh, to go there. Uh, I I don't have a good good track record with, um, with uh, flights, I think, because I managed to land there. Uh, Air France had failed to give me a message uh, to, to stay back in Guadeloupe for 24 hours. I arrived in the middle of a huge riot and I had to run with a policeman to a police station from the airport um be sort of locked up for a couple of hours before I could even get anywhere. Ended up in a hospital where they were short of staff because uh, of the rioting and did about 72 hours there in their emergency department with gunshot wounds coming in. I think I gave 14 doses of TXA, <laughs> um, which... Uh, you know, it's not what you really want to be doing,
0: yeah that's crazy, yeah that is crazy and was that and was that off the back of the uh, of the of the earthquake which uh, where had, had, had,
1: that- no they've moved moved on i mean the earthquake is obviously the root cause of things, um but quite a long time ago now, I can't remember exactly which year um but the there's a lot of political unrest there. Um, and um, they do like burning tires and rolling them down on people and uh, shooting in the street and uh, yeah. But it all stops on a Sunday usually and they, they go to church. Gosh, wow. Um, so just pivoting slightly,
0: Nick, and looking at uh, Ethiopia. Um, what were you doing there? How did you get to Ethiopia, and what what were you doing?
1: There? <laughs> well, Ethiopia was through Festival Medical Services. Um, we uh, up well last year we gave over a hundred thousand pounds to various uh, in grants to various um, small charities. Yeah. Uh, we specialize in real small grassroots projects, not not the government run projects where you get trouble over consultants and corruption and all sorts of things like that and um we've done jointly with some other charities in the uk we've built i think it's five health posts around Lalibela in the highlands and also a maternity unit which has had a bit of a struggle opening so i went out with a, another person from uh festival medical services um, to actually uh, explore what the problems were about this maternity unit and what we could offer and um, particularly I was looking from the aspect of they they have ambulances there which are really just land cruisers with um, uh, some sort of bed in the back not much else even the oxygen was empty mm. um, and uh, they were taking women in labor in difficult labors obstructed labors uh, for a six-hour journey on unsurfaced roads to a place where they could have a c-section and um, I think eight had died in the previous year from ruptured uterus uh, on the journey. So um, uh, just seeing, obviously the best route is to to make the, the maternity unit work so that they don't have to go on the journey. Um, but they were still taking orthopedic cases to this other hospital and they had no proper splinting. So uh things like getting um a locally made traction splint uh were the the priority and uh working out how we could equip ambulances. Mm. And of course that's now all on hold because of the uh virus outbreak. Um you know, so it, It's it's sad that that people are still losing their lives um, through the outbreak of the virus, not from uh, viral disease, just the practical aspects of it.
0: Mm, Indeed, no, indeed, indeed. And what we're seeing, um, speaking to colleagues around the world, actually, Nick, at the moment, is uh, a real drop in trauma cases as people move around less um you know socially isolated and social distancing mm. but um but that doesn't ad- admonish them from people still having mis so heart attacks people still having yeah. strength, still having anaphylactic reactions so you know life still goes on in in that regard mm. and and mm. um so if you can't cap the the kind of the the coronary artery disease you know yeah it has its own time frame so so we are seeing almost a drop in in trauma, but we're, we're we're certainly not seeing a drop in other standard normal acute medical pathologies, which
1: which you, yeah. you should normally see. Um, I mean, it's also worth pointing out that uh, I believe in Vanuatu. The latest information I have is there are three ventilators, one on this island and two on, if I say in the the bigger population, um, but in a way that makes it very easy that the the team dealing with COVID-19 have said they're not going to ventilate anybody mm. because the ventilator that is here is for surgery and for uh trauma cases that that come in you know that need it mm. yeah indeed, and indeed. there is no no point in in trying to 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 save people from covid 19. um uh, so being free of the virus is the biggest advantage that we have
0: yeah yeah absolutely 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 so nick just 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 looking forward really so a couple of questions in my mind i'd like to ask you one is that what if you what, what what are some of the key learning take homes that you've that you've come to understand from trying to disseminate education across the world really from you know the middle east to uh, to africa to um other parts of of uh, uh, of the of the globe what what what, mm. what are some of the of the ubiquitous lessons that you feel like uh, work time in time out
1: well, i think one of the messages that that i always try to get over to people now that i, I learned the hard way is that Hospitals have never treated a patient, it's the staff inside them. Mm. Um, so, uh, you know, all credit to the German government who built a new hospital in northern Afghanistan in mazar sharif It's a fabulous looking building, but uh, what had to be done was to make a lot of changes to the management of the hospital and the staff um and it's the and there's some fabulous staff there don't get me wrong but you know that was what needed the attention not the building and we still we still get it in the uk you know we're going to build a new hospital and well yes but what about some new staff (laughs) um you know and people still don't quite get it Mm. um and also you know it's seeing uh poorly funded health services um you it's particularly so for somebody with an nhs background that uh when you see people refusing treatment and you suddenly realize that it's because they haven't got the money Mm. And they're worried about the debt they're going to get their family into, um, and and I mean certainly in Afghanistan, um, I saw several people with uh, advanced cancers of the mouth, who are so proud of not uh, dropping their family in it, as it were, that they'll deny that they've got any problem even eating with. A golf ball-sized growth in their mouth, Um, purely and simply because they don't want to admit that that they want help. Yeah, gosh, wow, wow, wow! And it makes you
0: realise, you know, what we do have here back in the UK in in access to services and access to free services and the provision of health at point contact. I
1: had a case in in Haiti of um, a young girl who's having an appalling PV bleed. A really catastrophic bleed and she'd come in from the suburbs or sorry in the from the country um, a three-hour journey to get to us and then we had to find a hospital to take her to we had to phone seven hospitals before we actually found one that would take somebody with no money uh, in a life-saving situation when we got there they'd run out of diesel fuel for their generator, So they were in darkness and we're not taking patients. Mm. Whilst we had a big argument about this, a woman came in, squatted down between us and the doctors of the hospital and delivered a baby on the floor so that they would have to take it. Mm. And then we found another hospital. Um, Luckily, we had... um, quite a number of uh, people with us including an intensive care nurse so we had to take the girl with the the hemorrhage uh, to this other hospital there was no doctor there but they let us set up our own itu as it were um and waited five hours for the doctor to appear
0: oh gosh gosh that just puts it into all into perspective nick to be honest Puts it yeah. Yeah, yeah. So Nick, just coming into land now. Just, just. Um, have you got any sort of summary thoughts or messages for for our community? So we, you know, we have a large community of paramedics, doctors, nurses that listen to this and will watch this um, in quite a difficult current sort of health climate. Um, mm. But from your sort of from your mindset of overcoming and thinking laterally and prevailing in some extremely difficult circumstances. Have you got a message uh, for people uh, that might be listening?
1: Well, I think, uh, yeah, never mind what's going on at the moment, I think it's always good to get experience in uh, developing countries, and, and they develop in different ways. You know, some some are way, way back and some have... Uh, had varying levels of of expertise but um, if you go somewhere where you haven't got everything handed to you on a plate it does increase your competence Mm. and your confidence and I think that confidence is is a great thing in anybody in medicine that it gives a lot of reassurance to your patients, and teaches you to be much more relaxed about things, and to also use all the uh, psychological and positioning things to to relieve pain before you reach for all the drugs, um, and it just improves. Um, improve things for you as well you know that that you feel more confident um doing your job because you you've got more experience so i think everybody in medicine should experience some difficult places i wouldn't wish any traumatic stuff on them um but um it does you good and in these sort of difficult times, it makes you much more um, capable of Mm. getting through Mm. and makes you more inventive. Uh, We can't get any um, disposable plastic aprons. And I see some people complaining online that they can't get nice disposable plastic aprons. Um, I've actually... um, Invented um, a tabard made out of a black bin liner, um, slit down the sides, with a hole cut for the head, um, and two bits of tape to just hold the sides together. And it looks really stylish, um, and works just as well. And of course, then you have to educate people to tear them to take them off and take them off over their heads, but. You know we've we've got there we've got um, WHO standard um, PPE um, still waiting for a few bits they're going to be flown in by the Australian military I believe
0: yeah, yeah. you're right though thinking laterally and the ability to just to, to actually explore different options is absolutely vital uh, another thing like you said doffing PPE taking PPE off in, a, in an appropriate fashion is 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 sometimes the riskiest part of the whole whole process so like being able to take that off appropriately um and not contaminate any other part of your body but yeah it's it's that's a fantastic message actually nick um just you know to have that spectrum of experience where it and it actually probably makes you more grateful for what you do have when when you do have it um in something like the NHS, the, when you the, where some some places which simply yeah. don't have the provision the NHS has,
1: and and every single bit of knowledge that you've ever learned about anything will come in useful somewhere. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. I know I'm I'm big advocate of exactly what you said. Mm. Um, having having that experience and you bring it for it brings you brings you on as a person but brings you one condition as well. So.
1: One of the, the things, going back to the lack of X-ray, one of the things I learned in Afghanistan from John Fixon, this incredible orthopedic surgeon, was how to use a stethoscope to diagnose fractures. You put it on um, an elbow or a knee or any any sort of bony prominence that you can get a good contact with. And you just move the limb very, very slightly, and you can hear the slightest crepitus. Yeah. And um, you know it's we just totally rely on an X-ray. We won't give an opinion on any fracture until we've seen the X-ray. In the real world out here, um, you can easily diagnose a fracture. Just go back to those very, very basic principles.
0: Yeah, yeah. The basics work well. The basics absolutely work. Mm. Absolutely. Nick, listen, thanks for your time today. Well, it's not today it's it, I believe it's it's morning time where you are
1: I, I'm right I'm, I'm in tomorrow you're really? in yesterday <laughs> tomorrow
0: you are actually are you are you near the international timeline actually at the moment uh, not
1: far but I'm I'm the same side as you yeah. Sure. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah, haven't yeah. gone over it yeah just
0: sure. yeah yeah listen thanks so much Nick and I really Thank appreciate you. your perspectives and time uh, just to go through some fascinating recollections mate